Kylie Jenner has a face that launched a thousand luscious lips and her sister Kim Kardashian has a behind that launched a thousand Brazilian butt lifts. In this B-side episode, Dr. Patrick Shu, the plastic surgeon responsible for Filipino actress Michelle Madrigal's breast implant removal, talks to Business World reporter Patricia B. Mirasol about the evolving standards of beauty in the age of Instagram. Perhaps we could start by having you share a bit about your professional background. What got you into the field of cosmetic surgery? Well, pretty early age, I knew I wanted to be a surgeon. And what I really liked about plastic surgery was, you know, above all the other surgeries was that it was incredibly visual. So you can see your final product. A lot of other surgical specialties, you open it up, you fix it and you close it up. So if you're a cardiothoracic surgeon, you're opening up the heart, you're fixing the heart or you're fixing the lungs and then it gets all gets closed up. Or the same thing with orthopedic surgery, you're fixing bones. Once it's all done, you cover it up and you don't see it again. Plastic surgery, you get to see your final product and everybody gets to see your final product. So it takes an incredible amount of detail and you have to be very meticulous in order to get the best you know, results possible. So now let's talk about standards of beauty. Based on your practice and your experience, what is the Western standard of beauty and how is it different or similar from the Asian standard of beauty? Well, you know, it's interesting because um, I think a lot has changed in the last uh, 10 years. Before the last 10 years, the Asian culture was very heavily focused focused on face. It was focused like in Japan, not so much in the Philippines, because in Philippines, and it's mostly due to um, the genetics, the double eyelid procedure is extremely rare in Filipinos. But in Korea, China, Japan, like the double eyelid surgery is very, very popular. And that's considered beautiful to have a more Western eye. The same thing with the nose, a higher bridge nose, not as flat, not as wide, uh, more defined, sharper, pointier nose is what is actually desirable. So Asian cosmetics, cosmetic surgery 10 years ago was mostly focused upon, you know, facial aesthetics. And that has changed now. And I think it's changed mostly because of social media, to be honest with you. It's the focus now is turning more towards like not only face, but also the body and getting a more desirable body that's curvier because traditionally Asian genetics is not as voluptuous, not as curvy, not as full in the breast and in the buttock area. And so there is one particular trend that is spreading all around the world and that's having a bigger butt. And that's mostly actually been driven by the Kardashians. They actually set a lot of beauty standards. Look how popular lips got. Lips got extremely popular because of Kylie. Like having full lips. Kylie Jenner like spawned a whole lip culture by herself. Her sister, Kim Kardashian, spawned the whole BBL craze and having a big butt. And is this true across demographics, across, you know, the younger women, older women? It's definitely more popular in the younger population. Obviously, as you go up in age, it becomes less and less, right? So 20 versus 30 versus 40, 50, 60, 70, it, it starts to go down. But it's not that we don't see people coming in 40 years old requesting to have a bigger butt, a uh, fuller breast. And, you know, a lot of it's all driven by social media. Okay, talking about how the skin should be, uh, I just want to share that the 
skin whitening products industry in Asia is worth billions. I've always found it ironic that Asians pay to have whiter skin, whereas among Caucasians, especially Europeans, yeah. they go to, you know, they holiday mm -hmm. in warmer climates uh, just to sunbathe and try to achieve darker skin. I think it's just a cultural thing. In Asia, the whiter you are, it's more presumed that you're wealthier because you're not working outside. And in America, the tanner you are, you just went on vacation. If you're tan all year round, you have money to go on vacation all the time. Do you see any specific beauty trends among Filipinos and Filipino Americans? Yes, I do see a trend. The BBL trend is basically all around the world now. It started in actually Colombia, Brazil, and it's called the Brazilian butt lift, but I think it actually started in Colombia. But it was mostly a South American surgery. And for years, the South American countries were more concerned about the butt. They weren't really much into like breast enhancement or big breasts. They were more into having a big, full, round butt. And Americans were more into having big breasts. This is like, I'm talking about like 20 years ago, 20, 30 years ago. It was all about breast enhancement. Nobody cared about the butt. It started about 10 years ago. I was probably the second person to really start doing a lot of BBLs in Houston, Texas. And it started changing where now there is still a quite large demand for breast augmentation, but the demand for having a full round butt is very, very popular now. And I see that now spreading over to Asia is the demand to have a curvy figure, fuller butt, bigger breasts. And the most ideal patients for a BBL are actually those that are slightly a little bit overweight, where the fat can be suctioned from all the areas that you don't want, which is typically your torso. So your, your stomach, your back, your waist, and then you collect all this fat and then you inject it into the butt or into the breasts. How much would it be to have a BBL? Can you talk about that? My price is somewhere around uh, twelve to 15000 all-inclusive. It includes the doctor's fee, the anesthesia fee, the OR fee, garments, everything. And it's somewhere around twelve to 15000 And uh, what's the recovery like? So the recovery time is usually around two weeks. So apart from BBL, um, it's still the usual breast augmentation, right? You mentioned a Filipina actress that went to you for her breast augmentation. You know, I've actually done a number of Filipino influencers and celebrities, but there's only been one that has agreed to use her name. And mostly because she was very public about it on her Instagram. That was uh, Michelle Madrigal. But I've done a couple of other ones that have flown over. I get patients from Africa, London, all around the world, because there's not too many surgeons out there that know how to do BBLs. They're more, you know, facial. Instagram actually completely changed my practice. It has given me a worldwide reach. It's exploded my practice. It's also great because it's elevated everybody's game. So you got to post your results. And if your results aren't good, then you're not going to get a lot of, you know, clients. You can't hide behind marketing as much anymore. Before you can spend a lot of money, put a lot of paper ads out, put a lot of billboards up, and then you would just get brand recognition and then people would come to you because of the brand recognition. But these days, the savvy shopper is going to be well-researched 
into 10 plastic surgeons that she's following, and then she'll pick who she wants to go to. And they will fly to that city or country to get it done. So do you have your own Instagram profile or do you just rely on word of mouth from your clients? Well, I'd say 90% of my business is from Instagram. I do have a lot of like, you know, word of mouth too, but I have just a lot from Instagram. I don't mean to be boastful about this, but both me and my partner, we have a one and a half year wait list just to see us for a consultation. And then it's another year to have surgery because of Instagram. We post a lot. We post our results. We're very honest about it. We don't Photoshop. We educate and we just have a lot of content on our Instagram account that keep people engaged and they really want our product. So we're in very high demand and that's why we're adding on more associates and we're looking to expand and scale our practice into Asia. Is there no like failure rate when it comes to BBL? Like, you know, are all surgeries a success? No, not every surgery is a success and every surgeon gets complications and that I'm the first one that will always say that if you don't get complications, you're either lying or you're not operating enough. The most common complications are either bleeding or an infection. That's it. Our infection rate is 1.2% because we track it. So out of 100 patients, we get maybe one patient that gets an infection, but it's because we own our own facility. We're the only ones that use our facility. Our facility is brand new. It's two years old. It's accredited by an American association for a surgery centers called Triple HC. So there are guidelines and rules that we have to follow to keep our accreditation which is good because we make sure that we follow the rules in order to keep our accreditation, which keeps the ORs as clean as possible. So with BBL surgery, maybe one patient may get an infection that's usually treated by antibiotics. BBL is actually the most deadly surgery of all of aesthetic cosmetic surgery. And that's because you can die from a BBL with what's called a fat emboli. So when you're injecting it into the butt, if you don't inject it within the right area, or if you don't know where you're injecting it and you inject it into a vein, there's these big veins in the butt and they're in the muscle, you die instantly on the table. So fortunately, we have never had one of these and we've done thousands, but it's because we're experts. You will read about BBL deaths happens probably every month. There's a death somewhere around the world. Dominican Republic and Miami have a lot of deaths because there's a lot of cosmetic surgeons that are doing the surgery that don't know what they're doing. Is the term cosmetic surgery the same as plastic surgery? Are they interchangeable? They are. However, in America, there's a loophole for doctors who can actually perform cosmetic or plastic surgery. So if you graduate from medical school and you do any sort of residency, you technically can perform cosmetic surgery. Like it's not illegal. So in America, we, we actually have ER doctors, OBGYNs, family practice doctors, dentists, who decide one day they want to go take a weekend course in liposuction, and then they start marketing themselves as cosmetic surgeons. And it's not illegal, but so the terminology to actually really differentiate that uh, between a plastic surgeon and a cosmetic surgeon is they can't call themselves plastic surgeons. They always call themselves cosmetic surgeons because plastic surgeons go through a much different training. So when somebody tells me they're a cosmetic surgeon, I ask, are you a cosmetic surgeon or are you a plastic surgeon? What's your formal training? Plastic surgeons have very, very strict formal training. There's six years of residency dedicated to just everything that I talked about. So when we train, we train 
brain in microsurgery, hand surgery, cosmetic surgery, uh, general reconstructive surgery, craniofacial surgery. Our training is six years dedicated to the broad field of plastic surgery. Cosmetic surgery, you can go take a weekend course and come home and then next week start, you know, liposuctioning. You know, they don't get the training that we get. The most important thing is just to find somebody that is doing it regularly. Is a board certified plastic surgeon with years of training versus somebody that just went to a weekend course and decided that on Monday they're going to start offering BBLs. They're not going to get good results. They're going to get more complications and the worst complication is a death. But we have it down where it's very, very predictable, mostly because we just do so many. We have a system. So they, they fly in. There's a whole system of getting them into town, getting them ready for surgery, taking care of them after surgery, and then basically packaging them up and sending them home. What is the difference between insecurity and body dysmorphic disorder or BDD? The main difference is dysmorphia is affecting your life. Like it is affecting the way that you live and carry about your life. Insecurity, you know, you just kind of, you're shy about your toes or you don't, you know, you're insecure about your nails or your hair, but it doesn't affect you like your life. Dysmorphia is when it starts to kind of take over your life and you also have unrealistic expectation in terms of how you should look. Dysmorphia is also somebody who comes to me and has a very, very almost perfect nose, but yet they think that, that it does not look good. And it's consuming their life that they're just so focused on it, that they have a body dysmorphia. Those that are consumed about it, and it's so slight, that's where the dysmorphia comes from. And who are the individuals who are more prone to having this body dysmorphia? Young females, it's crazy, but these days it could be as young as like 12, 13 years old to 25, 30 years old. Mostly women too. Don't see too many men. Where do you draw the line when it comes to plastic surgery? I think that line is always going to be crossed by somebody. Heterosexuals, that's it. Then you had homosexuals. Now you have transgenders. And so things are all blending. The ethnicities are all blending. Different ethnicities are going to want to look like, some people want to look Western. Some people want to look Asian. So those trends are, I think, more and more popular. And I don't think that there is a line because there are going to be people that will be doing it. I mean, there are plastic surgeons right now that are doing gender reassignment surgery on very young people, which I don't agree with because I think they're too young to really know like a lot of theories about the fact that, you know, these people are more troubled from a psychological standpoint and should be medicated versus having a complete sex change. I'm glad that you mentioned mental health because I was going to ask uh, a related question. Are, are psychosocial sessions needed to prepare patients who are about to go plastic surgery? Because of course, post-surgery, they're going to look different than they did. Not for very general basic plastic surgery, but for transgender, yes. There's usually like a multidisciplinary approach that includes a whole year of psychiatric evaluation. Please tell me more about your plans to expand your practice in the Philippines. We're going to probably come to Manila and open a practice because of the demand. 
And we actually had some talks with existing plastic surgery practices to try to collaborate together. So it's not as hard for us. We're looking for a synergistic partnership, but we're not opposed to also opening ourselves. We're exploring all of our options over the next year. Is there anything else that you'd like to share to our audience here at Business World? Follow Memorial Plastic Surgery. Follow my Instagram page. Um, our practice is called Memorial Plastic Surgery. And uh, my personal Instagram account is Patrick, P-A-T-R-I-C-K-H-S-U-M-D. So one last thing, just to end things on a positive note, what's the most rewarding aspect of your practice? Making somebody look more beautiful and, you know, enhancing their natural beauty is rewarding. On top of that, you get to work with men, you get to work with women, you get to work with pediatrics, like with cleft palates, you get to work with geriatric patients, older patients, you get to work with the skin, you also get to work with the fat, you get to work with nerves, you get to work with bones. So a lot of people don't know that plastic surgeons also do facial reconstruction. They also do hand surgery as a specialty on top of aesthetics. And so I do microsurgery too, which means I repair blood vessels. And actually, I just did that surgery today. And that concludes another episode of B-Side. Once again, you heard plastic surgeon Dr. Patrick Shu talking to Business World reporter Patricia B. Mirasol about the impact Instagram has had on standards of beauty and the state of our mental health. A decade ago, it was all about the face, double eyelids and pointy noses. And now, because of social media, women want curvier bodies and fuller booties. While Dr. Shu acknowledges that Instagram has done wonders for his practice, he also says that the platform can propagate an unhealthy fantasy. There's a difference between wanting to be more comfortable in our own skin, he says, and obsessing over flaws that may not even be there. This B-Side episode was recorded remotely in August 2022. It was produced by Joseph Emmanuel L. Garcia and me, Samuel Marcelo. Thanks for listening.